can you sing that that's a really the only way to test the microphone are you kidding me no that's really the only way for me to Is know it really if it's working yeah, it's just, there's no, there's no other way. So, what song do you want me to sing? It's got to be something jazzy, All really, right. something really, really jazzy. Hey, everybody, welcome back to Holland Christian Medium Talk. There are few people I respect or enjoy being around more than today's guest, Dan Walcott. Dan taught approximately twelve thousand students in his time at Holland Christian. And I was fortunate enough to be one of them in a slightly different context. Dan was one of my mentor teachers when I started at Holland Christian years ago. And even though we give each other a hard time every now and then, I cannot tell you how welcoming and kind he was to me in that year when I was a new teacher. And how welcoming and kind he continues to be as a pastor at Bethany CRC in Holland with everyone he comes in contact with. I'm so excited for you to get a little peek today into the heart and mind of Dan Walcott. And that's why I just love the, the richness in it. I don't know if it's more of a humility or a realization that we read it to see the heart of God. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so excited to have my old buddy, Cammy Cam, on the air. Woo-woo. What's going on, Cam. guys? How are you, Cam? I'm doing well. I have never been this bored before, but here we are. You're so bored. You're actually joining me on a podcast conversation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You've hit yeah, rock voluntarily. bottom. Cam. I guess uh, so. Cam, I miss you, buddy. It's good to be having this conversation remotely. Also, I should say these conversations have been happening remotely. A few people texted me saying, how come you guys are still doing this with COVID-19 happening? And I said, we're not, I'm not sitting with anyone. This is all via the internet. So mm -hmm. just so you know, Hey, a very, very, very cam noticed three varies special three. guests with us today. My dear friend, Dan Walcott, Dan, how are you this evening? I'm doing very well. Thanks. So Cam and, and Mr. Walcott, or I guess, can we call you Dan now that you've retired? You, you may, now that I'm retired. Perfect. So we'll call him Dan. Go ahead. Or you could just call me. Don't push it. Saruman? I am not your department <laughs> chairman anymore, but I can. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So Dan, Cam, well, Dan, uh, his nickname from me was Saruman for the last few years for a couple reasons. He was always the head of the Bible department just as Saruman was the head of the wizard order in Lord of the Rings. But mm -hmm. there's also Saruman is the white wizard and Dan's hair always just had this beautiful glow to it. Uh, also white. So that's where that nickname <laughs> came from. Yeah. On the track list here, it says Cammy, Bryant Russ and Saruman. And I honestly didn't understand where that name came from. And I thought I, Thought we were interviewing the wrong person today. Yep, that's that's Dan. He has many names. He wears many hats. And he actually does wear many hats. Mr. Walcott, you can tell us about that a little bit. But Cam, Mr. Walcott, he was a Bible teacher at Holland Christian. He taught Bible for over 40 years. And 40? 40 years. That's older than both wow. you and I put together, Cam, as long <laughs> as you're nine. I, I'm not nine. <laughs> nope, not yet. <laughs> so mr walcott uh first of all cam uh dan walcott when we used to 
our department meetings back in the, the good old days. We used to have our department meetings at Southside in the restaurant across from school. And my daughter would sometimes come with us because before school, before I could drop her off. And my daughter just fell in love with Grandpa Dan Walcott. And he would yeah. always give her pancakes off of his plate and she would nibble on them to keep quiet during our department meeting. So he's a he's a kind man, I'll tell you. Awesome. So, so how Mr. old is Walcott, that little girl now? She is four, almost five. Four, all right. Fun. It's so good. We're just having a blast. Yep. Mr. Walcott, how many what, what year did you retire exactly? I from retired I from Holland Christian in 2016. So the class of 2016 was my last class. Okay. So not, so Cam, you didn't have Mr. You didn't have the pleasure of having Mr. Not. Walcott. As no, I did not. Well, hopefully you'll be able to get to know him a little bit through this conversation. So Dan, 40 years teaching Bible. I'm curious, you've been a part of Holland Christian for a longer period of time than just about anyone else who's currently employed there. How did the school change in your 40 years? Uh, from your perspective, how did the how did the school change? But then also, how did you change as those years went by? Now, believe it or not, you know, you said I was there 40 years. When I came in, Holland Christian was going through a a big slide of downward. There was a the opposite of baby boom, and that we kept losing students every year. We went down from almost a thousand students to about six hundred right after I came. I'm hoping it didn't have anything to do with the fact that I came, <laughs> <laughs> but we did. And, and schools all over. That's when a lot of high schools put their ninth grade middle school into the high school because there was room, etc. But anyway. I was a rebel, I guess, because I had kids not sit in rows. And I remember we called them the old guard, the teachers who had been there for 800 years, and they all went Mm -hmm. to the same church, and they used to just rip on me because I had my kids sit in semicircles. And (laughs) those little changes where you could walk past a room and just look in, and see how things changed. And you can imagine when you sat in rows, the word was the teacher would stand and deliver. And then partway through my tenure, we moved to, you're not supposed to stand and deliver. You're supposed to be a guide on the side. Mm. Yeah. And then we went from the, to the flipped classroom where students should do all their research and everything. That's their homework but they come to class so that they can ask questions. The most obvious place there would be in math. You don't do your math assignment at home and bring it to class. You do it, you do it in class so you can ask questions of the teacher. But then what do you do at home? You watch a lecture or whatever because that doesn't require any participation. You don't have to have a live body with you there. Um, so anyway, those there were some big changes like that. Um, faculty room. If a kid came into the faculty room, there would be big detentions handed out. That was the holy of holies of the faculty. <laughs> and that moved much more to a relationship-building idea that, you know, we're here together. Uh, the students 
are the main client, not the teachers. The teachers are here for the students, not the students for the teacher. That was a good move. Hmm. How long do you want me to go on this? Oh, we can cut it. We'll cut it up later and just All right. piece it together to make you say ridiculous things. So uh, that'd be helpful. Dan, I love. How did you change as those in forty years of teaching Bible? Well, when you use that context to to bring it up, I think one thing is I became a whole lot more humble. Um, I <laughs> I thought I needed to have all the answers when I started, but the older I got, the the more I knew I did not need to know everything, and even to let the students be experts on certain things. Um, you know, one place are they still doing cultures, world cultures? That was yep. that was always fun for me. You know, I'd go stand in front of somebody like Kim and and pepper them with questions, not to try to get them, but to try to learn from them. It mm-hmm. was it was always awesome that here sits a kid, and maybe he's not even the brightest kid in my class, but right there he is the expert. In that posi- in that place, right there at that time, on that particular subject, and teachers had to realize that. And with a computer, kids could find out a whole lot of stuff about a whole lot of stuff. And yeah, now now the students are the experts on the technology, and we got to teach the teachers how to use it. Sometimes Cam came over and people 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 and just got it all set to go. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> how about in terms of the Bible and your engagement with the Bible? How did you grow or change over those 40 years? Huge change. Um, there are times when I'd love to go back to my first students and either give them a refund or <laughs> a, com- a complete do-over. Um, and part of it, I'll, I'm going to blame this on my brain. My favorite subject in all of school growing up was geometry. And hmm. part of that is because it just all makes sense. You have the right building blocks, you can figure it out. Opposite, of course, English, especially poetry, where you read something and then your teacher comes and says, yeah, that's what it says, but that's not at all what it says. And it's just frustrating to me. Um, So I was a very black and white, logical thinker. And I love teaching Bible, uh, rough doc, and making it all line up and all make sense. And the older I got, two things happened. Number one, I was tremendously privileged at Holland Christian to be able to teach different things at different phases of my life. I started out teaching Gospels, and then I taught some Old Testament, and then I taught Epistles, and then I taught prophets, and I, I got to teach Revelation at the turn of the century when everybody was going crazy about what was going to happen when we changed um, from 1999 <laughs> to 2000. Um, yes, that was fun. Yes. But the more, I, and the more I read the Bible, the more I just saw all sorts of problems with the way people had done it with this systematic theology. And it became clear to me that the Bible was not ever intended to be read that way. So I did a lot of change. I I used to be able to give you the proof text for any doctrine you wanted, and I could argue it. And if you counter-argued, I'd probably just repeat what I'd said the first time because that's really all I had. 
But as I got older, I realized, well, there are stories here. And yes, this story teaches this. And I, I always wanted to know the right answer. Why? Dig in and get it. And I grew to even there, I guess, with, I don't know if it's more of a humility or a realization that the, that's not what the Bible's for. It's not to have the right answer to the right question. We read it to see the heart of God. And hmm. it's different all the time. Every person who reads it is coming at it from a different perspective. And the needs are different at different times. And that's why I just love the, the richness in it. And then really drew away from any idea of proof texting because I just never found that helpful at the end of my career. You've, you've used the word proof texting a couple times. Can you explain what, what does that mean? That means that when there's a thing called a coronavirus right now, and there are people who want to tell you that if you really love God, you're going to still come to church together. So they find a verse in Hebrews that says, do not neglect the meeting together. And they say, there it is. It's right in God's word. You have to go to church. And it's, well, that's a nice text to say that. But what about all the other verses? And there may be verses that even contradict that. So be careful when you just throw out one verse or two verses to, to back it up. Simple definition of proof text is a verse from the Bible to back up whatever point you're trying to make. I love that idea that you shared earlier about how the Bible isn't necessarily just a thing to go to to get answers to a question, but it's there so we can see the heart of God and understand how to live. Right. Good point. You must have had good teachers, Cam. <laughs> uh, so, Dan, Dan, that makes me think of, uh, uh, you actually tricked me, Cam, Mr. Walcott. Actually, Mr. Walcott tr tricked me a lot. In fact, my first day on the job, we had a, um, a department meeting and I did not know if Dan was joking or serious. He kept saying things and I'm like, wait, is this real? Or one day in the staff lounge, Dan says to me, Hey, can I teach you uh, we were talking about something and he said, can I teach you a Hebrew word? I said, yeah, great. And he said, yeah, but, and I said it a couple times and I thought I got it. And he explained what it meant. I just thought it was the coolest thing. About two years later, I realized it was not a Hebrew word, but rather an English word, an English phrase. <laughs> yeah, but. And he explained how this was. Yeah, there's like there's always like another component, or you know, and and that maybe not just the opposite of an idea, but that oftentimes wisdom is intention. That there are two things pulling us in different directions, and wisdom is navigating that balance. He tricked me on more than one occasion, I think, for sure. Well, I didn't really mean to trick you, but now there is something I learned though in teaching that sometimes when you, if you do trick somebody maybe or whatever else you're looking at, that sticks. And that's something yeah, kids are going to remember true. a lot longer. And so it ends up being a, a good way to remember something. That is very true. When I was younger, the first yabat that I had was when we looked at the proof text for the sovereignty of God. And then there was always a yabat where you could find 
another proof text for human free will and human responsibility. And there's this tension because one side wants to say, we know God is in total control and they are so jealous of God's sovereignty that they don't want to take away from that at all. But then there's the other side that wants to talk about human responsibility and say, there's no way I'm going to blame God for this evil because that's not something God would do. And God clearly at times says, do not do this. And then if you believe that God then turns around and makes you do what he said not to do, that's just a real struggle for hmm. a so, lot so of people. It? So which is it? Is it? I really found help with a guy named Philip Yancey maybe 15 years ago. I was reading a book, Reaching for the Invisible God, and he said it, what I had been thinking and pondering. He said, when we have two truths in the Bible, never say the truth is somewhere at the middle. Say the truth is at the extremes. Because they're both true. And our human mind wants to come up with the right answer. But the right answer is God is sovereign. He is Lord over all, and he does whatever he would like to do. But another truth that is just as true is that humans have a free will and humans have responsibility, will be held accountable for the things that they do. Hmm. I cannot blame God for evil that I do. Hmm. That, that's a paradox. I mean, I, I think our, especially our Western minds, we, we want to resolve any kinds of tension like that in the text. But what I hear you saying, Dan, is that those actually live together and they need to be together and they need to be taught together. And what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to live with a paradox like that? I still remember a young man who is now a pastor and we were reading a book and he would quote this line from that book. Um, I could just hear him saying it. Uh, wish I could remember his name right now. He, he, <laughs> give him a shout out. He, he was great. The, the verse that Paul, Paul goes through this paradox in the end of Romans. And Paul talks about this whole idea of predestination and election and yet human responsibility. And he ends up by saying, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom of the knowledge of God, how mm. unsearchable are his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who can know the mind of God for <laughs> of him and to him and through him are all things. And mm. I, I just remember this young man saying, oh, the depths. Uh, hmm. That really hit him. And yeah, there are times when you go through life and somebody's discussing something and you just say, oh, the depths. I mean, who hmm. am I to think that I can put God in a jar and figure him out? He is so much greater than I am. Hmm. Dan, that makes me think of in John 8 when there's a trap set for Jesus and there's this woman who was caught in the act of adultery thrown in front of Jesus. And they say, you've got two options. You can pick a, or you can pick B. A is going to violate Torah. B is going to violate Roman law in how we deal with this woman. And therefore that's why it's such a, a trap, right? He's stuck. He's got two options. 
And he just so brilliantly does something other that no probably is on nobody's mind, nobody's expecting. And I've always liked that for times when it seems like, okay, God, is it A or is it B? Is it free will or are you sovereign? Or that God so often, like you said, oh, the depths, I'm not even beginning to understand how God is at work in ways that I'm often not even aware of. And when I give him two choices, uh, I'm often missing <laughs> missing the character of God. Uh, another article that helped me way in my beginning of my career, and again, I wish, it's, it's that famous guy called Author Unknown. Although if you gave me time, I could probably come, a lot. I could come up with it if you gave me time. It's Ray Vanderlaan's uncle, um, if you want to cross-reference it. But the point of the article it, the title of it was Two Points of Truth. And it talked about how if you make a circle, you put a point in the middle and you draw around it. And then you have all the points are equal distance from the center point. But in scripture, truth is elliptical. It's like having two points in the middle. And so sometimes you're closer to one point and other times to the other, but they're both real. Now God is one, God is three. Which one is it? You can't just answer one or three. God is three and one. Hmm. God is sovereign. What, we have a free will. What God is just. Of, God is merciful. Go ahead. What does that require? What does that require of a Christian, Dan, to participate in this thing where God is one and God is three, or God is just and God is merciful? I mean, what does that do to the to the followers of this God and the people of this book? What does it require of us to participate in that kind of faith? You have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, and realize that God is God and we're not. Um, I think we violate that whole tension and get upset by that tension when we think we have to be smart enough to get the right answer. And there's not a right answer sometimes. It's it's a very different answer in very different times and different contexts. Mm-hmm. You know, Job's, Job's three friends were all quoting scripture. And at the end of the discussion, God tells them to go repent because they had the right verses. They just had them at the wrong place. Hmm. I feel like I've never really thought about how like God's called the creator of heaven and earth and he's called mighty and holy but at the same time he's called as like the God who sees me and a shepherd and how he draws near to us and I've never really thought about how extreme that is how he's all these great things but he's also so close with us and I've been like okay yeah that's just what I've read but God isn't just this and he's not just on this far side of the spectrum. That's pretty cool. Good point. Yeah, it makes me think that we'll be learning and growing in relationship with this God for eternity and never quite come to the end. Yeah. Man, this is getting deep, Mr. Walcott. You're you're preaching right now. Back to the uh, Yeah. yeah, but thing. I feel like every time we've spoken with somebody who was there before you, Mr. Russ, came in and started teaching, they always tell a story about how they pulled some prank or tricked you in some way on one of your first days. Yeah. A lot of people, the word, the term is bullied that you're looking oh, for. Um, yeah. yeah. I feel like it's usually a Bible teacher too, that 
What? No, 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 Cam. <laughs> but you know, there was a teacher that we both crossed with a little bit named Rodney Branson. He then yeah. became a principal at um, Rose Park. Uh-huh. He took a, took a step down. But he had, a, he had a line that said, we tease because we love. Uh, See, you only tease the people you love the most. And cool. so we I'm, just I'm, wanted to shower this young man with our love. And I'm I sure feel so did. loved. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I do. I do feel loved. You're good guys. So, Dan, is what you just described, is that threatening to some, do you think? Oh, absolutely. You know, to the black and white thinkers of the world, they need to have the right question with the right answer. You know, think of the book of Job. God could have at the very end of the book of Job said, here's what it is. But if he had, people would have been quoting that verse for 3,000 years now or however when time that book was written. And the situation would have been very different. And so God doesn't do that. He tells us a story. And in that story, he shows us a little bit about who he is. And he shows us how to respond to that. Would you say, are there some answers in Scripture? Or is it only showing us who God is? That's a great question. Um, And as you all, you know, um, one of my mantras at Holland Christian was, don't take a text out of context. But there are many texts that stand alone. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That stands all by itself. We don't have to wonder about it. We don't have to give any yabuts to it. Um, There it is. And there are so many things like that. But for everyone that's crystal clear like that, that you could have a proof text if you need to use that term. There are other times when that really doesn't work. Hmm. What I appreciate about all the things you're describing, Dan, is I really think as a young man, I I potentially made the Bible an idol in one sense that it was all about the Bible to the point that I didn't actually need a living God or the Holy Spirit because the Bible took care of everything. And learning from you and, and you know growing up a little bit, I realized, oh man, I actually need a God, uh, not just using the Bible like an encyclopedia or like some sort of constitution that answers everything or sets me up for every situation. Rather, the scriptures lead me to a God and to a spirit on whom I can depend and trust and continue to learn and walk with for now till through the rest of my life. I love that thought. I've never really considered that because I mean if the Bible just gave us all the answers then we wouldn't really need that relationship with God but because Hmm. it's not black and white it pushes us towards having that relationship it's a great Hmm. thought yeah well said very wise guys I've been saying it for years I'm just waiting for someone else to say it now so So, Mr. Walcott, when you retired in 2016, you had essentially a big yard sale in your classroom where you were giving away all the the goodies that you'd collected through the years. And you invited me there about 15th or 16th when all the good stuff was taken. Um, But there was one picture that was framed, still left, that I quickly snagged. 
And it was a quote from Timothy Keller, a pastor in New York City. Uh, I don't have the exact quote off the top of my head. It's currently hanging in my classroom. But it's the idea that the proportion to which you understand and experience and receive the grace of God to that same proportion, you will care about justice. Tell me a little bit, if not about that exact quote, tell me about your passion for justice and that came out for, for sure in teaching the prophets for so many years. Okay, first may I uh, take issue with that you were 15th or 16th? I yeah, was it you, later than that? I was believe you got the very first invitation. <laughs> but, but I do know that you just kind of pushed me off for a little bit. Didn't, didn't <laughs> want to come down there. No. But anyway, I'm, I'm glad you have that poster. Yeah, that, that was a step in my life too because, like you said, it took me a lot longer than it took you to not make the Bible an idol. I, I just, my goal in life always was to get it right, to master this thing, and then to teach it to kids. Uh, you know, I had to have it right before I could tell them what the right answer was. But when I, I took a year off from Holland Christian to go to Nigeria, and I came back, and I was ready to jump back into teaching, uh, we called it Bible 3 back then, Acts to Revelation. And I had always threatened I could not retire until I figured out how to teach that. And they said, no, you got to teach something new. And it ended up being the prophets. And to see how relevant that was was just amazing. It was an eye-opener. And there's so many of those prophets. Like Isaiah is just full of it, and Amos and Micah about justice. And the word in the New Testament, Jesus, he talks about justice and righteousness. And that's really pretty much the same word. And so what God says is, I want justice to roll on like a river and righteousness like an ever-rolling stream. Or what does the Lord require of you, Micah? To do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God. And you look around our world, and we do not have a world of justice. And I just really enjoyed opening that scripture up to students and saying, look at what God is saying. Um, when Hurricane Katrina hit, now for you youngsters, that's like ancient history, but that seems like not that long ago. Uh, Hurricane Katrina hit and we went down to New Orleans and there was a big sign hanging next to the road and it said Isaiah 58. And because my, I took pride in mastering the Bible, I just, every time I see a verse, I just say, oh, that's what that says. I had no idea what it said. So I went back to my bunk that night. We were in a big room. And I opened the Bible. And what a passage. It's the same story in Isaiah of the parable of the sheep and the goats. I was hungry and you gave me no food. And God's saying to the people of Israel, you know why I don't answer your prayers? because you don't care about the poor. You don't care about practicing justice. And I just started studying this thing and realizing how true that is. Um, so yeah, just in teaching it got me really fired up about it. Hmm. How would you define justice? Well, I found out that that's a loaded term as well. Um, and as you know, I one time had a board member come and he was I rate with me because I was talking about 
social justice. And I mean, that goes way back. When I was in college, that's what we learned about Amos. Amos is the prophet of social justice. Well, why social justice? To differentiate between civil justice. This isn't about if you go over to the speed limit, you get a speeding ticket. This is justice saying, act justly according to what your God would want you to do. But there are people in our world who think that if you're a Christian, and especially if you're a conservative Christian, we don't want to talk about this stuff. And that really got me excited and going. How in the world can you just say, I don't need to read what Amos said. I don't need to read and take seriously what Isaiah said. This is what Jesus read. This is what Jesus based his theology on. This is what he would have studied as a young man. And so justice, there's, there's the justice of God loves all of his children, and he wants you to love all of his children. So a lot of it, obviously, is caring for those who don't have another defender. It's caring for the poor. It's acting the way God wants you to act, which is also the word righteousness. Righteousness is simply doing it the right way. We, we read Luke's gospel in Bible 3 currently, and man, it's hard to miss that in Luke, especially that Jesus cares about those very things you're describing. I had this impression that Jesus was only interested in what happens once you die. But reading Luke has convicted me and brought me back to Amos and those others you've mentioned that he cares deeply about loving your neighbor here and now as well. And that means taking seriously orphans, widows. There's that quote, Dan, it might have been even you who told me this quote originally, that you say you care about the poor. Tell me, what are their names? That quote just is like a punch in the gut. And the prophets do that very thing where they call us not just to think certain things, but they call us to care as God cares and they call us to action. Yeah, very well said. Hey, Dan, you've been out of Holland Christian, at least for a couple of years. I know you're still a pastor at Bethany. What would you, if you had a chance to step back into the classroom, what would you say to high school students today? Well, there's lots of things that I've thought about over the years saying, boy, I'd love to go back. Um, I'll tell you one that hits me over and over and over. And I've even asked pastors, said, tell me if I'm not living in the real world. And I have said some say, no, you're not. I have, <laughs> I have walked with many, many people since I retired from teaching to their death. And I have not yet had a terrible experience. What I have done is just sit in awe of saints who are leaving this life and going to be with Christ. And there are times when I just, I walk away and say, I wish I had had a video camera to go and show to a classroom of seniors. Or better yet, if I could have had a bunch of those kids come and sit with me and just watch this saint, hear their testimony, their assurance that they're ready. You hear stories, and for me, it was always stories in a book. But I walked in on a, a, a gentleman one time 
and he was in the hospital and his wife said to him, hey, Pastor Dan's here. Do you want to say something to him? And he was looking up in the corner of the room and he said, oh, there's Jesus. Jesus, he's coming. And he held his hands out to him and he was just so ready to go and no fears, just he understood God's grace. And to witness that and to say, it's real. And I know when you're in high school, that's the last thing you want to think about. But just to tuck that in the back of your head someplace, that there are saints who get to the end of their life and they can't wait to go and be with Christ. And what a faith, if just to have that, to, to be inspired to somehow get to that point. That's incredible. That is really incredible. Hmm. Some of those lessons you can't quite put into a lesson plan, right? You know, the objective for today. Yeah. There's something about seeing what you've just described, sitting with a person that you walk away different, but it's not quite simple to put into words, I think. Mm -hmm. You really have to, to sit there and, and see it and do it. You know, I've prayed with people. They just, all they want to do is go to be with Christ. That's all I want because they are so ready and they their faith is just so sure that this is real. Ooh. Cammy, Cam, you want to end with your question? Oh, sure, as we usually do. Um, so, Mr. Walcott, if you were able to go back and speak with your high school self, what is something that you might tell yourself? I, I would have told myself to be more curious. I was, I was a student who the best part of the day was when it was over. Um, I lived for what happened after the last bell rang. That's the only thing I really cared about. And I'd say, be curious, ask questions. Don't quit studying that night until you understand what the teacher said and why they said it, because then it's going to stick with you a lot longer. But I'd also want to say, and, and this one is something that I've observed even in friends, the way you treat people is going to stick with you. Some of my biggest regrets are times when I either participated or at least stood there and watched and did nothing about it when kids were unkind to other kids. And I still have regrets for that. It, you don't want to live with that. And those people that maybe you don't think are all that important right now because they're not part of your peer group, you don't know who that person's going to be to you 10, 15, 20 years from now. Yeah. And so be careful. Uh, love them like God told you to love. For sure. They could be your boss a few years down the road. You know what's scarier? They could be your brother-in-law. Yeah. Or sister-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> they, Very really, true. they really could, or they could marry your cousin, or mm -hmm. or they'll be on church council with you. Yeah, um, that's a tough one. That's why I got to be a pastor in Holland. If I went back to Muskegon, they'd laugh me out. <laughs> oh, Mister Dan Walcott, I love you, brother. I always enjoy time with you. 
And you're just someone who I always walk away feeling like, man, you talk about sitting with saints. I feel like I'm sitting with a saint when I get to spend time with you. Well, that's humbling. Thank you. I think what that means is I'm old. (laughs) That's a part of it, but that's not all of it. All right. Well, thanks for, hey, Cam, someday I hope I can meet you live. Oh, Um, yeah, I sure hope sometime soon. All right. And guys, thanks for inviting me to this project. I just hear nothing but praise for it. Oh, that's very kind. That's I'm thankful Cam taught me how to do it. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing my best. All right. <laughs>